Father, we thank you for bringing us here today, and as we've already said, from so many different backgrounds and places and so many different states of mind and heart and soul. And we are grateful to be here and to be lifted up and to be encouraged. And Father, it's my prayer that we will be different, will be different tomorrow because we have been here today. In the name of your son that we pray, amen. Today's worship is brought to you by the month of December. We're glad that you are here. And here's the, here's the wild thing. I'm the only one on this stage today that has a birthday in December. I don't know about these jokers. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, December 12th is uh, the birthday of choice, but uh, we, will, we will recognize uh, November birthdays next, next week if you would like to come and, and be a part. And I want you to think about something for just a minute or two. I want you to think about what is the one thing, what's the one thing that the church has to offer the world that the world can't get anywhere else? What's the one thing that the church has to offer the world that the world cannot get anywhere else? Now, while you're thinking about that, I want you to understand that you don't have to be a Christian to build homes for the homeless. You don't have to be a Christian to go and dig wells for those who are in need of water. You do not have to be a Christian to to give money to the poor, to minister to those who are sick. You don't have to be a Christian to affect political change or to somehow be involved in social justice. All these things can be done without any type of Christian perspective. So what's the one thing the church has to offer that the world can't get anywhere else? While you're thinking about that, I want you to know I, I heard your pleas last week that I not blind you with my sweat. Um, it got a little warm last week in here. I don't know if you guys, if y'all were here last week, it got a little warm and especially up here on stage with the lights shining and by about the end of the message, I mean, my face was just all covered and some of you told me that you thought about, you know, rushing up with some, you know, paper towels or something. So I just want you to know I have come prepared today and I have my sweat rag ready. And I don't want to um, disturb any of you as we go through the lesson. I don't want you to be distracted. So I want you to know that I have, that I've come prepared today. So what's the one thing? Well, here's my answer. Grace is the one thing that the church has to offer to the world that the world can't get anywhere else. You see, we don't live in a grace-filled world. A few weeks back when we began earlier this year talking about the subject of grace, went to lunch with a friend of mine and he said, you know, I've just got to be honest, that's not the world I live in, the grace world. He said, the world that I live in, it's, it's dog eat dog. There is no free lunch. In the world that I live in, you, you reap what you sow. And if you don't perform... There's no one waiting with grace behind door number two. That's just not the world that, that I live in. I started thinking about it. You know, when was the last time you drove down the interstate and, and somebody was maybe cut you off and, and you rolled down the window and said, grace be to you, good man. Grace be to you. And 
forgiveness to you and yours for cutting me off. I, I turn my other bumper to you. You want my lane? I'll give you the shoulder as well. I mean, how often does that happen? Or you're at an athletic contest of some type, and the official, I know, it's going to shock you, makes a terrible call. And all of a sudden, the crowd jumps up and starts saying, we love referees. We love referees. Somebody else jumps up and says, you know what? Let's give him some grace. He's just a man. She's just a woman. She's not perfect. We all make mistakes. It never happens. It never happens because we live in a messy, what I would call graceless world. And I think that's what makes God's gift so attractive, right? When you see something that you normally do not see, when you are introduced to a concept that is so foreign in the world that you live in, there is this attractiveness about it. We have the one thing the world cannot get anywhere else. And as a church, we are to be the people of the second chance. We are to be the people who see others for more than just what they can do for us. We are the people who are to encourage the broken and forgive the guilty. We're the people who accept the rejected. At least that's who we should be. That's who we've been called to be. We've already said as we've studied together that grace is not only that which saves us, it is also that by which we live. We live in grace. We live in grace and for the last couple of months we've been reminded how much we depend on God's grace. And what I want us to do now is, is shift just a little bit. I want us to shift just a little bit our attention to the fact that we are not just to be grace dependers. But we are also supposed to be grace dispensers. As Christians, we are to live in grace. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. That is our purpose. That is what we are about. Hopefully being able to share what it is that God has already given to us. I brought a friend with me today. This has been in our family a long time. This friend is named Doll. We're very original at our house. It's the creativity of living with a minister. This is Doll, and Doll was given to our family just before the birth of our daughter, who is now 16. And Doll came to us from another young girl who on the card wrote, every little girl needs a doll. The girl who gave us this had her doll and, and she would bring it everywhere with her. She would bring it to church and she would take it with her to the grocery store. Whenever you saw her, you, you saw her doll. And so it was very similar then in our household. When Emily came along, she eventually found doll and doll became one of those things that was just a part of our family. And in fact, it was a package deal. If you loved Emily, you had to love Doll. And there were times I remember that I had to go out to the car because Doll had been left after one of our trips. And well, you can't go to sleep if you don't have Doll. 
And there were times when we had to search the house and look under anything that could be moved because doll was missing. And all heaven and all earth had to stop in order that we could find doll. Now for you, doll might not be that impressive. Doll might just be another child's plaything. It's filled with some type of of beads and it's wrapped in a very simple outfit. But to the Barnett family, or more importantly, to Emily, doll, doll's precious. Maybe you've had your own doll. Not something that you were given, not something that was a child's play toy, but someone, someone who was so precious to you. Someone who perhaps others looked at and and did not see the value that, that you saw because doll was yours. Doll was, was your husband. Doll was your wife. Doll was your children. Doll was your grandchildren. Doll was your, your neighbor. And doll was on your ball team. Doll was someone that you looked at and you realized, you know what? If you loved me, you've got to love doll. It's a package deal. You see, there are two truths about humanity that we need to come to terms with. The first is that we are all rag dolls. We're all dolls. And we are ragged in our condition. We have been loved and we have been put away, some of us. We have become dirty through the years. We have been torn. We have been broken and bent. Now, partly our raggedness is the result of what's happened to us. It's the actions of others. It's sometimes things that we could not control. But then there's another part of our story. You see, you have contributed to your own raggedness. I have contributed to my own raggedness. Paul says to Titus, he writes to him, and he he wants to talk about the human condition. And he says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 that at one time he says, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. You see, we choose to deceive when the truth begs to be spoken. We grumble in times when we should be praising. We deliberately betray when we are bound by our oaths of loyalty. We seek happiness and prosperity and life where there's only sadness and and ruin and death. Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are like nothing but filthy rags. And then like the autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. You see, we're all ragdolls. But here's the second truth. We're God's ragdolls. We're his. You see, he knows about our raggedness, and yet he cares for us anyway. We were not created ragged. 
We were once pristine in mint collector's edition. And in the Genesis book, it says that, that we were made in God's image and, and his creation belonged exclusively to him. And, and though our sinful condition has changed our appearance, it has not changed the concern that God has for us. Because you see, God is completely aware of our secret. God knows who and what we are on the inside. He knows we're ragdolls. And while we may be unlovely, we've never been unloved. You see, Doll here has had all kinds of things spit on her and poured on her. And yet, you know what? She's just as much loved today as she was the first time that she came to our family. And while I have been unkind, and while there has been times when I have been unfeeling and unholy, when there have been times that I have been unforgiving and there have been times that, that I have been unworthy, there have been those times that I have been uncaring, that I've never been unloved. Listen to Paul as he continues talking to Titus. Verse 4 of chapter 3. He says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. And because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Paul is telling Titus, look, this is who we are. We are ragdolls. We are ragged people. And we used to live foolish and disobedient and enslaved lives, living for our selfish desires. We hated and we were hated. But that's not who we are anymore. He says we have been saved from ourselves by God's grace. And I really think that as Paul writes this, he wants to be able to shout it from the rooftops. You know what? We may be ragdolls, but praise God, we're his ragdolls. And he loves us. And here's the deal. If you love God, then you must love his ragdolls. You love God, you love his ragdolls. It's a package deal. That's why I love reading through Scripture so much. I love reading through Scripture because it's a gallery of ragdolls filled with the portraits of men and women who even in their raggedness was able to experience the very grace of God. Think about this and the way that you know these people. You read the story of Jacob and he's known as the deceiver. You ask somebody what they know about Rahab and they'll say, oh, she's, she's one of those kind of women. Zacchaeus, I take this one personally, he was the wee little man. Saul, well, Saul was the persecutor. And you know, some of you here know what it's like to carry that stigma. Because each time your name is mentioned, there is some type of descriptor that follows. Well, that's Philip, the widower. Someone asked, have you heard from Stacy lately? And he says, wasn't, wasn't she the one that was going through that divorce? We got a letter from John Really, how's he doing with his alcoholism? Bryant is in town. 
Man, what a shame he has to raise those kids alone. So I'm Alyssa today. I just don't know why she can't keep a job. It's like that pesky little brother that's always running up behind you, reminding you of all the things that you have done wherever you go, wanting to be the tattletale and let mom and dad know exactly what it is that happened and exactly what it is that you have fallen short of. And you wonder sometimes, is there anybody that actually sees me for more than my actions? Is there anybody that sees me for more than just something that I've done at some time in my life or multiple times in my life? You know, there is or there are people in the Bible that we just remember for what they did. That's how they're listed. You read through John chapter 8 and you can read about a woman caught in adultery. That's how she's known. Or in Luke chapter 8, there was a man possessed by demons, only known by the descriptors. And it's here in this room, I just want to pause just for, give me about five minutes if you would. Give me about five minutes to look in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And I want you to see a woman who Jesus saw through the eyes of grace. As he looked and saw one of God's ragdolls and how he reminded all those who were at the dinner, if you love God, you've got to love her. Jesus was eating one day at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon felt that all things considered, he was loved and that he was someone who loved. But then a woman enters his house, and Luke just describes her as a sinner. It was his polite way of saying, most likely, that, that she was a prostitute. She was an uninvited guest. She had lost her reputation, a good deal of her virtue, and, and like Dahl here, had a lot of stuffing probably lost through the years. We'll call her Dahl. Her name's not given, so let's just call her Doll. She hadn't looked like this always. She was once someone's little girl. She had dreams and aspirations, something that she wanted to do, someone that she wanted to become, but now it had been years since she had been in the company of anyone respectable. And I want you to just think for a moment the courage that it took for her to come in to this place and to be with these people. She brought perf perfume with which to anoint Jesus. And maybe you've heard before in studies that this type of perfume is normally used to anoint the, the head of someone, and that perfume would be taken and, and poured over their hair. But she stands at the feet of Jesus, and as she looks at him, the tears begin to come. And no one knows why she's crying. It could be she's thinking about the way in which she achieved the money to buy the perfume. Perhaps she's thinking about the girl that she used to be and now the woman that she has become. At any rate, instead of his head, she begins to anoint his feet with a mixture of, of tears and perfume. And then she does something that is utterly astounding. And it's something we don't appreciate in our culture today because she ends up taking her hair down. And it was something that a Jewish woman would never have done in public. 
She would have kept her hair up. Now, she has let her hair down in the past, but always it was just another reminder of her raggedness. But now she takes down her hair and she touches the feet of Jesus with it and in an homage, touching God with a symbol of her ragged condition. And Simon is seeing all of this and he is aghast because he has invited this rabbi into his home and now this woman has come letting down her hair, crying at his feet and washing his feet with her hair. How more indignified can you be? And so he waits. He waits for Jesus to say something about the woman. After all, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know the type of woman who was at his feet. See, it appears that Simon surely understands the woman, but he knows very little about Jesus. But before we're too harsh in any way with Simon, I want you to ask yourself something. How, how do you respond? How do you respond in situations when you are confronted with someone who is living outside the expectation of God? How do you respond? The lover of this doll asked me a question one night. We've been watching the Olympics and there was on the Olympics a, a gentleman who is who is known for his homosexual life. And as we were watching the Olympics and as we were watching the skating portion, I made a comment on how it bothered me the way that he was portraying himself. And even talked about fast forwarding past that particular part. So the next day, the, the lover of this doll said, Dad, would you go out to eat with that skater? She said, would you be his friend? And I told her that I would. I told her that my feeling toward his sin did not affect the way that I would treat him. But yet, she saw how I was treating him watching television. How do you respond when you see dolls? You see, this woman had defiled God with her lifestyle. And she had lowered the standard of fidelity. And we never need to gloss over her raggedness or the raggedness that we see in ourselves. And we should not dismiss the raggedness that we see in others and say that any of it is okay. But Jesus was so scandalously ready to forgive because he understands what Simon does not. That when there is authentic repentance, the work of judgment has been done. And Jesus looks to Simon and says, Simon, have you seen this woman? 
And do you see yourself? You did not provide water for me, and yet she has provided tears with which to wash my feet. You did not offer me a kiss of greeting, but she has not stopped kissing me. You did not anoint me, but she has. She is demonstrating her great love for me because she sees her ragged condition. You see, Simon could not give love because he held to the idea that he didn't need much love. But the woman knew who she was and who Jesus was. And she was transformed. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. She left that day with forgiveness. Her past had been wiped clean. She left that day with salvation. Her future had been secured. She left that day with peace and her present had been radically altered. Jesus said, she may be ragged, but she's my father's rag doll. And if you're going to honor me, then you must honor her. You see, Jesus had eyes of grace. He didn't look past an individual's sin. He looked before it. He saw men and women not as they were, but as they were intended by the Father to be. And that's the amazing thing, guys, about grace. It causes you to see others through God's eyes. You see others before the sin, before the affair, before the lie, before the words that were shouted out in anger, before the broken promises, before the depression, before the loneliness, before the dirt, before the smell, before the tears, before they and before you and before we were even ragged. You see, every one of us has become ragged and damaged by sin. And the logical thing would just be to throw us out and to start over. The logical thing to do as Emily was getting older is just to get another doll. I mean, why keep the same one that has been loved on so much and that had been dirtied and that had been sullen? Why keep this doll? It's because Emily loves this doll. And if we love her, then we love doll. Do you see others the way God sees them? You see, that's the impact that grace is meant to have on each of us. So that as we live daily, as we are in our homes, as we're at school, at, at work, when we were walking through Starbucks, when we are going on a run down by the river, wherever it is that we are living, that we live in grace and that our eyes are open to see others how God sees them before the raggedness, before the fall, seeing them the way that, that they were meant to be. If you're here this morning and you were ragged, I want to read something to you. 
I want to read something that I truly believe that God desires for you to hear this morning. And it's the reason why you made that choice to come and to be here with us. Anyone who is in Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You know what? You're ragged. And there is sin that is present in your life and you have not lived up to the expectation of your father. It is true. You cannot get past it. You are a ragdoll. But praise be to God that you are his. And because of his grace, he says, you know what? I still love you in the midst of your raggedness because I see what you're intended to be. And I have sent my son as a sacrifice for your ragged condition so that you might be able to live free of the consequences of your raggedness. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to sing a song together to encourage one another, but it's a song that is meant truly for those who see their ragged condition and say, you know what? I need that grace. I need to feel loved and I need to start over. And let me tell you, if you were to come this morning confessing your sin, throwing yourself on the mercy of God, if you were to come this morning and say, I want to be baptized into Christ so that I can have that new life, let me tell you what you are going to receive. You are going to receive from these other ragdolls here love and encouragement. And you know why? Because if you love God, you've got to love his ragdolls. And this morning, we want you to leave here knowing that you are loved and you have the opportunity to experience messy grace. Would you come as together we stand?